relief factor, pain relief that's natural, pain relief that works, and pain relief that attacks the source of the pain. That's the experience of tens of thousands of Americans who are taking Relief Factor right now. See their incredible video endorsements at relieffactor.com and then order your three-week quick starter pack for just $19.95. That's less than a dollar a day. Find out if it can work for you like it works for me by ordering your three-week quick starter pack today. Relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. Be the next success story. Today we pay tribute to the exceptional lives and extraordinary legacies of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, and Teddy Roosevelt. I am here as your president to proclaim before the country and before the world, this monument will never be desecrated. These heroes will never be defaced. Their legacy will never, ever be destroyed. Their achievements will never be forgotten, and Mount Rushmore will stand forever as an eternal tribute to our forefathers and to our freedom. Their achievements will never be forgotten, and Mount Rushmore will forever stand as a testament to those achievements. That's the 45th President of the United States at Mount Rushmore saluting those who helped found the only republic of its kind in the world, founded on the principle of individual liberty, uh, a function of us being made in the image of our creator. Is it truly, truly a, a legacy for the ages? Can it survive the assault of those who hate what the founding stands for? We are joined today by a very special guest, an expert on the founding, on natural law and natural rights. He is a professor at that superb institution, Hillsdale College. His bio, uh, we, we, sh- we could spend the whole uh, hour on the bio. He has taught at the University of Dallas, resident scholar at the Heritage Foundation, visiting scholar at the Claremont McKenna College, a fellow and, uh, and a director at the Claremont Institute. Uh, Professor West, welcome to uh, America First. I'm glad to join you. So, Professor West, uh, Tom West, we we um, we should begin with with the basic question, perhaps leveraging the clip from President Trump. Are the the principles that the Founding Fathers stood for, that they built into the fabric of the Republic, uh, are they safe at the present time? Uh, will they stand the test of time? Or how concerned are you that there is a concerted effort to dismantle those founding principles? Well, I think that, that there is such an, such an effort. So the answer is they're, they're, they're not safe. They're to some degree still active and alive in the American public, in our government, not so much. But even in the public, there's still there's quite a bit of uh, falling away that is taking place. On the other hand, there are lots of ways in which in which our country continues to live up to that older uh, tradition. At least some of us do. We do our best to. And uh, for example. Example: uh, the idea of self-help, self, uh, self-governing private associations. Uh, we still do that. We still have churches. We have clubs, bars, restaurants, uh, businesses. There's so many ways in which that older way of life is still alive. Still alive. Is that the the volunteerism that uh, Alexis de Tocqueville talked about in, in On Democracy? Is that a, a uniquely American facet of our society? Absolutely. When Tocqueville came over uh, just some years later, 1830s, he observed that. He, and this is, of course, a product, one of the many products of the founders' uh, actions as well as their beliefs, their principles. And uh, one of their principles was consent, the idea of consent as a, as a basis of society. Elections, of course, of course, we're familiar with that. Uh, in the political realm, but they also carried that principle over to the private realm, meaning that uh, uh, anything that people do together typically should be uh, voluntary, should be something they agree on among themselves to do. And, uh, and, and 
Yeah, in the 1830s, that was all thriving when Tocqueville got here. And it continued to for a long time. So even today, you see elements of that. Although basic modern law, which uh, you could say characteristically, you might say set off by the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which banned uh, private associations from deciding on their own membership, their own promotion standards, and so on. It's been, we have a new world now. I think Christopher Caldwell's right about that. We almost have a new constitution starting in the 1960s. And uh, we see that in all of our life. Separation of the private from government is increasingly a dif a difficult to maintain. They, what the government would like to do is simply to regulate every detail of everything that goes on in the private sphere. I think their their ideal model of how private life ought to look in America is an airplane. Everything is under the guidance of federal regulation. You can't make, move out of your seat. You have to do this. You have to do everything. That's what they'd like, what they'd like to see in all of American society. I, uh, and the founders' view, of course, is that's the, that would mean the end of liberty. Yes, as my friend Chris Plant says, uh, they want to make everything they agree with mandatory. Let's go down that rabbit hole, that Caldwell rabbit hole, for a, for a moment, Professor. Um, a, a new constitution born in the 1960s. W who were the motors? Who were the engines of that new constitution? Was it simply the civil rights activists? Was it activist judges? Can we can we point to a locus of of the formation or who? were the, the uh, catalysts for that new constitution? Well, of course, the way was led by American intellectuals going back to a much earlier time in the 20th century, um, starting, let's say, the 1920s, 30s. Uh, you begin to see that uh, these move, the movement towards our, what we're, our world today, our political and social world today. But uh, by the 1960s, uh, the reason why that period, I think, can be singled out as the transition, is that all three branches of the federal government and most states outside the South now had come to embrace this orientation, the idea that uh, there is a fundamental threat to human, human uh, individual rights that comes from the private sector. And of course, always there's been, been crime in America, and we punish crime. But now the view is it's not enough to punish crime. It's not enough to pre prevent people from harming each other. Uh, and it's also necessary to organize and regulate their lives step by step so that they will not have views of, of other people that, will, that are disapproved of by the federal government or the state government, as far as that's concerned. It happens at the state level as well. So have you seen of late uh, any recognition that that's actually what happened in the 1960s? And if so, is there any concerted pushback on, on what happened then to, to redress the balance? Well, I've I, uh, seen partially, we've seen partial examples of, of pushback, sure. Uh, we saw it when Trump was elected. Well, how could such a person be elected? Uh, Everyone was shocked when he won the election of, of uh, ninety of, uh, of, of twenty sixteen. Why? Because he was a dissenter from a good deal of the modern modern consensus. Uh, he was an advocate and a defender of the old conception of individual liberty. He he very much defended the older conception of foreign policy, the pre eighteen ninety eight conception which we've been away from for a long time, of course, but the founder's idea was we should not be trying to fix the world. We should fix ourselves. Our you know, government it, it's, in its policies, domestic and foreign, should be all about, all about protecting the rights of actual American citizens, and that's what we need to be focused on. Trump was, was, was good on that. You know, his, his inaugural address, which people forget uh, often, often when they talk about him. He talked about carnage all over America. He yes. talked about how the ruling class was protected, but regular people were not protected. That, that goes right back to the founders' understanding of what government is for, protection. Protection and, and meaning equal protection. So the original meaning of equal protection of the laws 
had nothing to do with race discrimination or sex discrimination. What it had to do with was government needs to pass laws to protect people uh, in their person and property equally for all. You know, enforcement has to be the same for all it, and effective enforcement, not selective, which is what we have now. We're going to address that uh, speech at the inauguration and uh, what was meant by carnage uh, later in our discussion. You are listening to America First One-on-One with Professor Thomas G. West, Professor of Politics at that superb institution, Hillsdale College. He's the author of The Political Theory of the American Founding. If you enjoy our one-on-one interviews with the newsmakers, with the true experts, make sure that you are subscribed. Go right now to Spotify. Go to your favorite podcast platform. Plug in my name, Sebastian Gorka. Make sure you never miss an episode. Write us a five-star review and share the links with your friends because getting the truth out is one of the ways that we will save the republic. Got on the scales again today. I've lost another two and a half pounds. Guys, that's that's beyond my wildest dream. I'm pushing 35 pounds I've lost in less than three months. How? Because her PhD weight loss and nutrition system is super easy. No calorie counting, no stupid starvation diets, and no craves. It's the easiest. It's the only diet I've been on ever that truly works. 20 years of trying to lose the weight. I'm now within striking distance of my target weight. My wife is ecstatic. And even Mike Gallagher, he's lost 50 pounds. Find out for yourself. It's an amazing system. Please call 828-552-3333. Book your first consultation. Their advisors stick with you through the whole process. They talk to you every week. It really, really works. I have not felt this good in over 20 years. That's 828 828- Five five two three 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 three, or just go to their website myphdweightloss.com that's myphdweightloss.com you will not regret it professor west let's uh, let's talk about the uh, the founding fathers who are held in such high esteem by patriots who understand the the unique, the truly sui generis nature of our nation. There are various conventional wisdoms about these individuals that uh, some say they were just geniuses who from whole cloth created this incredible nation. Others say, no, 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 no. They, they learned the mistakes of their European forebearers. They distilled here onto this nation, not quite a tabula rasa, but the best of the best of Western civilization and so forth. And there are others who say, no, 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 no. It's a little bit more complicated than that. Would you explain, in essence, who these people were and what their inheritance was and whether or not it was cut from whole cloth. Well, sure. These, the, the, foundry, the, fa- the founding fathers, thinking of the, who, were, who were the political leaders in America all the way from, say, mid-1760s when this all really got started, started to, oh, let's say, 1800. Uh, that group, that's a big group, but we have many stars among them, uh, famous people that we still remember, celebrate. And uh, they had inherited, in, through their colonial experience, two things. One, the heritage of, of the English customs and traditions that they grew up with uh, in their colonial form, meaning Protestantism, uh, rule of law, the common law, protection of life, liberty, and property as a normal function of government. All that was Present in the tradition, the customs they came, they 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 were of course also had what they also had in common with the older England was racial stock. They were they were people, the white people from England. Basically. That's who they mostly were, with with many of the same uh, ideas and even informally, like the same way of celebrating Christmas that kind of. Thing. But the other uh, thing that that the, that the founders brought in that was not as very not present in England at that time, anywhere near as much. That was the the modern natural rights, natural law teaching, which had been elaborated by writers like Locke, Blackstone, Bula um, uh various uh, other figures, uh, Trenchard and Gordon. There's a whole cap- galaxy of writers who were English, and then later many American acolytes of them, who spread these ideas starting around 1700 all over the colonies and so 
when can, it came time, can, can we stop time there for a second? Can Britain. we stop there for a second and just uh, explain sure. yeah. what natural rights and natural law covers? What what, what is this constellation? Sure, that's what I yeah yeah. The, the idea of natural rights, as they saw it, came from the idea that human beings have a nature, common human nature, which which is especially visible in the capacity for reason, for understanding things and understanding the nature of things. And reason, they believed, helps us to think about what is is right and wrong independently of custom and tradition. So the way they viewed this natural rights principle, you know, that we are created equal, we are not born slaves. We are capable of judging for ourselves who should govern us. Therefore, government should not be uh, imposed without our will. We should not be played. Uh, all of that, plus the idea of natural duties that we have, too, like duty to respect others' rights, duty of parents to raise children, to form families, uh, to remain loyal to spouses. These were all, too, part of the, old, of the, old, the older natural law understanding at that time. Uh, and and for, the, and for the founders, they they approached, they evaluated, you could say, their inheritance from British tradition and custom, always in light of those ideas, which they took to be more fundamental than anything inherited, anything that is merely customary. And the two together helped uh, to shape the development of America after 1776, because the older parts of the customs and traditions of England were thrown out and made to conform to the newer ideas, uh, which were then, which were then, then became part of the American story from then on. So when, when the very prosaic definition of conservative is provided that it is those who wish to conserve that which works, there is a a, a, a more fundamental level of analysis that you're not just preserving that which needs preserving, you're talking about the source of what gives those principles value. And, and there is, of course, this, right. this idea that reason is a gift of God because we are made in his image, and therefore you have the word creator in our founding document. Would you address for a second that the canard that these people weren't really christians they weren't really believers but they were fundamentally deists that they agreed in some kind of detached creator but that's about it how, how true is that right the question of the founders religious beliefs is of course unsolvable because people don't always say what they think yeah we don't know what we do know is the founders almost uniformly said publicly uh, and acted on it that this is a Christian nation in terms of custom, right? Not necessarily law, but we have customarily, we have it's, it's comfort, most meaning Protestant at that time. Uh, we are tolerant. We believe in religious freedom. So there will be other, other religious views, views allowed here, and we will not harm anyone who's Jewish or Catholic or anything else like, just like that. Fine, uh, but publicly they believed as a group, government needs to be supportive of the Christian consensus of the people. That is something that will, uh, and they didn't defend it from the point of view of salvation of the soul. They defended it from the point of view of that's going to make it possible for our government to secure our rights much more effectively. If people think that uh, there is a there are divine commands about thou shalt not steal, that's going to make them respect property property rights more than if you just gave them a lecture on the importance of the natural rights of property. Same with the uh, lying in court, right? You know, so thou, thou shalt not commit bear false, false witness. Same thing. So people like, you know, Washington was very clear on this, very em- emphatic. We we have to have and support a, 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 the religious character of our people if we are going to have a successful nation that secures our our individual rights to life, liberty, property, pursuit of happiness, religious freedom, and the rest. 
We're talking to the professor of politics at Hillsdale College, Thomas G. West, uh, author of the book that you must check out, The Political Theory of the American Founding. I'm Sebastian Gorka. You're listening to America First one-on-one on the Salem News Channel. Don't forget we are available on all social media platforms that matter. Please follow us on Truth Social, on Twitter, Facebook. We are on Parler, Getter, Telegram, Cloud Hub. You can also watch us. Yes, we are a TV show as well. That's SalemNewsChannel.com. And for my unique content you can't find anywhere else, it's my Substack. That's SebastianGorka.Substack.com. That's my whole name as one word, SebastianGorka.substack.com. My Pillow is having their biggest sheet sale of the year. You all have helped build My Pillow into the amazing company that it is today. Now, Mike Lindell, my buddy, the inventor and CEO, wants to give back to my listeners. The Percal bed sheet set is available in a variety of colors and sizes, and they're on sale. For example, the queen size is regularly $89.98, but now for you, just $39.98 with your listener promo. Order now because when they're gone, they're gone. The Percal sheets are breathable and have a cool, crisp feel. They come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. It's a limited supply, so be sure to order now. Call 1-800-829-8468, promo code Gorka, or just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio list of square, and plug in G-O-R-K-A. That's 1-800-829-8468, or MyPillow.com, code Gorka. I have so many things I, I wish to uh, ask you, Professor. Uh, I, I'm exploiting this as, as if I were in uh, some kind of a grad school seminar. My, my PhD was in political science, and I, and I love uh, these topics and delving into them as much as possible. Uh, one thing I would like some clarification on, because I've always been very leery of it, and, and thanks to our team member who recommended you as a guest, I understand you are an expert on the field, and that is the concept of Straussianism, the person who convinced me to um, do a political science PhD was a Straussian and uh, my little research into it left me a little bit queasy that this is about elitism a kind of quasi-gnostic we, we know better than the plebs I'm sure that's an yeah. un- unfair uh, critique. Would you talk to us about uh, the, the Leo Strauss the philosopher and his importance and what it represents today? Well Look, that's a long topic. Strauss was, to me, most important because he thought thought it, it he thought we should bring back the idea of philosophy as that idea was originally understood, meaning in the way Plato, Aristotle, Machiavelli, uh, Hobbes, the philosophers. What did why? Why? What's what's philosophy? It's the attempt to discover the nature of the world and that nature of reality. And what Strauss also believed, and this is where he, you know, the charge of elitism comes from, he believed that philosophers are a rare breed. There aren't very many. There haven't been very many in history. Most people, uh, to put it simply, aren't smart enough and haven't done enough serious work on their own to uh, to combine talents and effort to be be genuine thinkers. We are mostly most of us, and I include myself here. We rely on what other people say. We rely on our own observation to be sure as best we can. But we know uh, that there are lots of things we don't get to that writer and, and writer people have penetrated to. We see that in science. Newton, of course. Uh, I don't claim to be that smart. And uh, Strauss was claiming that for philosophers. Now, what does that have to do with us right now? Does it have to do with modern America or even the, even the founders of America? That Strauss influenced my own book or my own research on the founding because he emphasized in a way that other scholars did not, that just because some idea existed in the past doesn't mean it's no longer valid. The idea of philosophy is, is there are permanent truths. So he, he told his students and told me, when you investigate something like the American founding, act like it might, like it might be true. Take it as if it might be true. And not just pretend, but actually, well, wait, maybe they do have the right answer to this stuff. I remember uh, a, a historian named Joseph, Joseph Ellis 
attacked my earlier book, Vindicating the Founders. And he said, the trouble with West is that he's a presentist. He believes ideas are like migratory birds. They can take off intact in one century and land in another. And I said, yeah, that's exactly what I think is the scholar's duty when it, when it comes to trying to understand earlier thinkers, and that includes our founding fathers. So the, the idea that it does promote elitism is unfounded. It just promotes um, being more committed. I mean, philosophy is the love of wisdom. It just means you've got to do more of your homework. Or, or, or are most people committed yeah. to being uh, more inferior mentally? Look, what Strauss was saying was, yes, he's an elitist for sure. He believes the philosophers are different from better than the rest of us when it comes to thinking. Not necessarily morally better, but okay. Superior in that way. But what I find uh, troublesome among the Straussians as a movement, which certainly has taken off since he, since he died, is that many of his students think they are the philosophers, just like he was or just like Plato was. And I look at these people and I go, you are no philosopher. You're barely even an intellectual. Uh you know, get serious. How about paying attention to things that you're capable of doing well, as opposed to imagining that you're going to transform the Western world by making us all engage in a grand, uh, you know, effort of neo-Reaganite nationalism to conquer the world. I mean, this is the kind of thing you get from some of these people. Right, and they have been rightly excoriated for that, I believe. That makes me feel much better about the original Leo Strauss. Uh, and he's right. I mean, the people of caliber that you can call philosophers are very far and few between. One piece of advice I give uh, young people in whatever career field they're, they're embarking on, I don't care whether you want to be a philosopher or a brain surgeon, is instead of spending all your life on a phone every day, sit down and read a book and preferably read a book by a dead white guy, preferably somebody who's been yeah. dead for several centuries. If it's over a millennia, it's probably a good book. We're talking to Professor Thomas G. West. He is the author of The Political Theory of the American Founding, Professor at Hillsdale. I'm Sebastian Gorka. This is America First One-on-One, -on -one, coming to you from the relieffactor.com studios. If you're in daily pain, if you've tried everything else and failed to find relief, try what is liberating half a million Americans right now, me included. Yes, I had a low back pain issue that plagued me for nine years, nigh on a decade. I took Relief Factor... Two weeks later, I was pain-free, and I'm still pain-free more than four years later. That should be you. That could be you. There's only one way to find out, but it's super easy. Order the three-week quick starter pack at relieffactor.com for the paltry sum of $19.95. It'll be at your door in three days or less. Take it morning and evening like I do, and I promise you, Dr. G's guarantee, by the end of those three weeks, you will know whether it works for you like it works for me and 500,000 of your fellow Americans. You've waited long enough. You deserve to know. Call today, 800-500-8384, relieffactor.com. That's 800-500-8384, relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. All right. Well, you've uh, reinstilled my uh, interest in uh, Straussianism. I will be going back to my old philosophy books from, oh my gosh, when did I get my degree? 19, uh, 1991. I will be going back to my old philosophy books. But, but let me just uh, ask about one more field, uh, one more ideology or, 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 or category, if I will, because I have... I have um, utter disdain for libertarians, and I understand you're not a big fan as well. I think only an immature individual can believe in libertarianism. Can you tell us from your perspective, what, what is the biggest problem with libertarianism as a functioning philosophy? Yeah, you know, libertarians, uh, there's a libertarian interpretation of the founders. They want to emphasize that the founders believed in individual rights, not liberty, uh, government uh, 
minimal government, you know, large degree of, of uh, freedom and freedom in the private sphere, all that, you know, it's all true. It's in the founding. But what the libertarians leave out and what the founders, I believe, were wiser about was how are you going to have the moral conditions to sustain that kind of a society? You cannot have a society devoted to the idea of respect for other people's rights if people are taught that it's, that it's okay to be immoral and exploit other people's rights. I mean, so the principle of liberty by itself, unless it also contains some duties, duties to others and ultimately to yourself, is uh, ineffectual to, to actually sustain liberty. My my my, and my that's way of, why the of, founders. I, I talked to my, <clears throat> there has to be some kind of moral compass for the philosophy, and libertarians seem to lack any kind of moral compass. Well, I I, I think many of them have moral compass, but the question here is, what should government do to maintain a free society? What should government do about families, for example? At the time of the founding, they thought. That was a function of government, although in general they were in favor of individual choice to determine adult relationships. In this one exceptional case, they thought uh, parents need to have a marital contract that's hard to break and uh, that will make sure that children will be taken care of. The real issue uh, in the founding is how do we protect other people's rights? And they included children's rights, babies' rights. How do you protect those? Is it really enough to say, oh, we'll just make sure you get some child support and welfare and then allow uh, a single parent to do it uh, with all the difficulties? They, they thought we should encourage and, and some degree mandate uh, integrity of the family. And uh, this is something that we today, of course, are not comfortable with. Uh, but maybe today we could be we could be a little better about not being so eager to promote ideas that. Uh, that basically tell everyone who's who's thinking about getting married or who is married, yeah, you should break up the family tomorrow if it feels the slightest bit inconvenient. This is a problem. I mean, and same with moral restraint. So moral restraint. Same with jury. How can you have a jury trial? People think it's okay to lie. You have to have a moral a society that is taught moral restraint and moral duties in order to prevent that. Uh, and you see that now, you know, in, in these jury, jury trials work that are going on in Washington, D.C., for the J6 protesters. Uh, the, you can tell these juries, they don't care. They're going to vote whatever they think is the party line of their party, Democratic Party. That's it. Yeah. And, and, if, and if you, whether the law was or was not broken. Right. And if the accused That's, happens they're, they're to be not a, attention to that. Yeah, and the problem is, if the confused, uh, the accused is a conservative, then they must, by dint of that, be guilty. Um, we've been discussing uh, the 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 natural law, natural rights, uh, the foreign policy of the United States prior uh, to the 20th century that you say there was a return to with President Trump. L- let me ask you, how significant was it that in 2015, the American population, by a factor of 64 million uh, voters, chose somebody who wasn't a member of the existing political class and who was running for the first time ever for public office. I I find it intriguing that I have to remind my fellow Americans as an immigrant that it's a very unusual thing that a president is not a former governor, senator, retired general or congressman. In in 2016, America did something unusual, did we not, Professor? Absolutely unprecedented. That, and, and of course, you, there's only one way to interpret that. It was a deep dissatisfaction on the part of a very large, uh, a large number of Americans, majority or close to it, with our current way of life, our current government in particular. Deeply, they're deeply aware over and over again, uh, you know, our, our foreign policy has been a succession of losing efforts. With the uh, war after war, troops, Americans go over there, they put their troops in, they get defeated. And what happens to the generals who led those defeats? They get promoted. Promoted. Similarly, with with uh, with the with the with the modern modern state, right? All of the things they claim to do well, education, everyone sees this is not working well. It's not working as well as it used to. Uh, 
the welfare system, the what about what about the criminal law? We see that it's very very in, very ineffectively applied in many towns and cities in this country. Uh, we now have this drug epidemic. It's op- people are dying left and right, you know, by the by the tens of thousands of opioid overdose overdoses. What is what is the government doing about that? Very little. This is the kind of stuff that Trump was pointing out in the campaign. And he also was also very good at showing you by making he used humor to show these people are a bunch of potential credentialed individuals who actually have made a mess of things. So he made fun of them in a way that was amazing. It was memorable and very effective. We're talking to Professor Thomas G. West, Hillsdale College, hillsdale.edu, a superlative institution. He is the author of many works, amongst them the political theory of the American founding. I'm Sebastian Walker, former strategist of the 45th president of the United States. This is America First on the Salem News Channel, coming to you from the relieffactor.com studios just outside the insalubrious, fetid, rank, malodorous swamp that is Washington, D.C. Relief Factor, pain relief that works, pain relief that's real, pain relief that is liberating half a million Americans across the country me included. But it's not just me. It's people like Yvonne from California. This is Yvonne's story. Both my husband and I are in our 70s and are so grateful to have found Relief Factor. We tried so many other solutions, but none of them have given us the freedom of being pain-free like Relief Factor. Incredible words. Find out for yourself. There's only one way, but it's super easy. Order the three-week quick starter pack at relieffactor.com. It'll be at your door uh, in less than three days. Take it morning and evening like I do. And I promise you, Dr. G's guarantee by the end of those three weeks, you will know whether it works for you like it works for me, Yvonne, and 500,000 of your fellow Americans. A three-year quick starter pack costs just nineteen ninety-five. That translates to less than a dollar a day. What can you get for less than a dollar a day? Nothing. Not even a cup of coffee. But potentially, you can get liberated from your aches and pains. Find out for yourself. You've waited long enough. You deserve to know. What have you got to lose? Nothing except the pain. Call today. 800-500-8384. You know it makes sense. Don't delay another moment. The, the relieffactor.com website or call 800-500-8384. relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. Uh, Professor, you've already mentioned uh, my former boss, President Trump's inauguration address, uh, that uh, uh, speech that was uh, lambasted as being far too dark. Let's listen to a, a little clip of his inauguration address. But for too many of our citizens, a different reality exists. Mothers and children trapped in poverty in our inner cities, rusted out factories scattered like tombstones across the landscape of our nation, an education system flush with cash, but which leaves our young and beautiful students deprived of all knowledge. And the crime, and the gangs, and the drugs that have stolen too many lives and robbed our country of so much unrealized potential. This American carnage stops right here and stops right now. This American carnage, was that an um, unfair description of the state of the nation? And in the last two years, has it gotten worse, Professor? Yeah, those, that clip was great in the sense it reminded me of uh, all the other parts of the Trump campaign uh, signature issues that I didn't mention a minute ago. So one of them was, of course, uh, this out-of-control immigration that was taking American jobs. One of his top themes in the 2016 campaign: We're going to build a war. We're going to enforce our force our immigration laws for change. Uh, the public knew that wasn't happening. Uh, founding fathers thought immigration is a is a, a duty of government to control to, con- to control. Uh, it's part of the law of nations, and the law of nations is enforced by Congress. That's each nation has the right to control its borders, decide who to let in. Uh, second point about poverty, jobs, you know, we are outsourcing all of our jobs. Why? Because we gave up on the founders' policy of having tariffs to, to make sure our industries are protected and Americans are able to get jobs. That that was, of course, a fundamental theme of the Trump administration. He tried very hard, made had some successes in reestablishing at least to some degree 
The idea of tariffs is a protection to uh, homegrown American industries and the provision of American jobs. And of course, the, uh, the, the crime problem that he's referring to, the carnage, yes, uh, law enforcement, that was a top theme of, theme of the campaign. And you know, we see now today how that's become even much worse, like far worse than it was uh, six years ago when he was, uh, he, he was running. Now, um, you, you, you mentioned the border, which is one of the key things that got President Trump elected. Now we have uh, no national sovereignty. We're the only nation in the world that does not have a closed border. I, I, did, I know you served in Vietnam, so uh, I thank you, sir, for your service. I, I did this little back-of-the-envelope um, calculation for my, my Newsmax TV show, and it's, it's just a totaling of warfighter deaths killed in action since World War II, uh, 37,000 in Korea, Vietnam 59,000, 7,000 since September the 11th in Afghanistan and Iraq, which is a total professor of 103,000 dead in 70 years. Last year, 2022, according to the CDC, more people died as a result of fentanyl deaths, 110,000 deaths. Can, Can a nation survive... Uh, long when it, it has such a seeming disregard for the well-being of its own citizens. I, I think I, I find myself in the stra- strange situation that I look at the elite, quote-unquote, whether it's the New York Times or the White House, and they seem to hate their own country. How long can that last, Professor? Well, obviously, that is not a historically com- common situation. Uh, you know, the hatred of the of the government for its own people. I, I probably one has to say there there must be many people in the government. Uh, many many I assume are good people in our government who are not who don't hate us. But it is true you do you do wonder when you see these deliberate policies these uh, like you know foisting off opioids on people to make profits. Where uh, this has come out, this has become public public knowledge. We see this in the idea of the lockdowns that uh, that where where the uh, minorities and elites were exempted from the lockdown. Well, how seriously did they did they actually mean that? Then was there really a COVID threat? Apparently, there wasn't. There wasn't one to black people who people who were out demonstrating in 2020. There wasn't one to Governor Newsom who was uh, hanging out at his favorite restaurants with his friends without masks on. This was that, that a lot a large part of what modern government does, at least especially the most destructive part, are, are intentional, unfortunately. And then you have to wonder what is happening to the American soul that we would go along with this and, and allow these kinds of people to be elected. And well, Trump had an answer to that. Actually, they did vote for Trump when he had a fair chance. And then the question of what happened in 2020, as you know, is is widely disputed. I don't necessarily i don't accept necessarily accept the, the supposed results uh, well uh, you're, you're you're actually stealing my thunder or we're having some kind of uh, psychic connection because that would have been my last question to you uh, so we, we have all these other things, yeah. open border, uh, rampant crime, perpetrators being treated as victims, uh, the workification of the military, you name it, on and on and on. Is it, is it hyperbolic to say that perhaps one of the greatest threats to the future of the nation is is just the seems to be systematic disdain for the way that we choose our representatives and our president. The idea that 80 million ballots can be mailed out, we can have ballot harvesting, signatures don't have to be tracked, there's no election day, there's 45 days of voting in, in Virginia where I live. Could this not be perhaps the greatest threat that the lack of integrity or even belief in the integrity of our election process, Professor? Absolutely. Uh, uh, and so if you go back, that's one of the basic principles of the founding. Right? In fact, the one issue that most directly uh, kicked off the American Revolution was consent of the government. Britain had announced, we're going to govern you without our without your without your consent. Uh, and so from now on, your elected legislatures may or may not be allowed to meet. We'll decide. We have today a situation in which the same, pro- same problem has come back to uh, to bite us. In a different form, as you say correctly, we now have an electoral process that is uh, completely wide open and open to corruption. Uh, no nation in Europe, 
governs its elections in the way we do. It's absolutely fake over over here by Paris. And it's so easy to change and fix and, and distort election results that you it's very hard to hard to say, do we still have election by consent of the government, by government by consent of the government? And uh, right, that's 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 something that has to happen. I would add another point, which is how can you have public information? You know, governments, public has to be able to know about what's going on in government in order to vote. If knowledge is uh, something they acquire through the media, what happens when the media are controlled to a very large degree by a few, by a few top institutions that have decided collectively there, there are certain points of view we're not going to allow on here, whether they're true or false. That, too, undermines the possibilities of consent in the, in the founder's sense of that word. Uh, I, I'm sad that we are out of time. However, it, it gives me uh, reason to mention your work again. Uh, please, everyone out there, the political theory of the American founding. Um, it's another piece of evidence why Hillsdale is such an incredible organization that you should support. And if you have children or grandchildren, you should seriously consider sending them there. Uh, Professor, last thing I like to do with my more academic guests here, uh, homework. Um, if, if, if somebody has just been bitten by the bug of philosophy, if they haven't spent years like I did as an undergraduate and decades like yourself, where, where should they begin their exploration in, in, in matters philosophical? What would you recommend as a, as a starting point in terms of what they should read? Oh, my. I don't know. I mean... The ancient Greeks? Know, I, start with the ancient Greeks or the, I, to- or the Tocqueville? <laughs> No, you know what I'd start with is uh, I'd start with maybe Nietzsche. Nietzsche's not a man I agree with. He obviously thought the founding fathers here were wrong about equality. But for a, for a diagnosis of the ills of the modern world, there's no better place to start. A philosophic diagnosis made 130 or 40 years ago ago now. Uh, deep, you know, and it's... it's uh, it gets you thinking. It gets, you know, genealogy of morals might be a good place to start on that point. Uh, you know, where, where did are these modern wild ideas come from? And, and how can we liberate ourselves from them? And Nietzsche's idea was you liberate yourself by going back, going back to nature, by going back to what human nature is when it is strong, thriving, growing, uh, trying to perfect itself. Now, if you add, to me, it's like the founding fathers, they understood these points in a way, in their common sense way. You cannot have a healthy nation if it's merely protecting people's lives and allowing them to become degraded bourgeois citizens who have no higher ideals. You need also the aspirational features that come from, uh, that we see articulated in philosophers. And, and so that, you know, that, that's what I, that's my countercultural recommendation. I love it. Start with Nietzsche and then proceed to the works of our special guest. Thank you for your service to this nation in uniform. And thank you for your continued service to this nation as professor of politics at Hillsdale. I'm Sebastian Gorka. You've been listening to America First one-on-one. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, keep your head on a swivel. Watch your six. Hold the line. Never give up. Never give in. And stay frosty. brought forth upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. The world will little note or long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. What your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I can hear you, the rest of the world hears you, and the people... And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. And we will make America great again.
This is America First with Sebastian Gorka. And so we know what this is This is about. Uh, this is about saying this particular member of Congress is not allowed to have a voice on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Yeah. This particular member of, um, of Congress is someone that we don't think is uh, appropriate in voicing. And that comes back to the fact that they don't actually think Muslims um, or, you know, refugees or immigrants in this country can appropriately criticize U.S. policy. Mm-hmm. No, my dear, there are other Muslim members of Congress. That's Ilhan Omar, who has been kicked off the Foreign Affairs Committee by the new Speaker of the House. Before that happened, our friend Claudia Tenney, Congresswoman Tenney of New York, tweeted this, and I retweeted it today. Some people will do something to Ilhan Omar's committee assignment. Remember that? Some people did something. Ilhan Omar shouldn't be in Congress, let alone on a committee that deals with classified information. Remember, this is the woman who said 9-11 was some people doing something. This is the woman who, it has very credibly been demonstrated, married her brother to skirt U.S. immigration. This is the woman who has been anti-Semitic again and again and again, talking about the evil state of Israel, quote, hypnotizing the West, and that it's all about the Benjamins when it comes to the relationship between Israel and America. Tata Ilhan, goodbye. Perhaps you can get a position on the Agriculture Committee. Welcome, dear friends. This is America First. One on one is going to be a deep dive today with an amazing professor from Hillsdale College. You can't miss it. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. Go right now to Spotify, to your favorite podcast platform. Plug in my name, Sebastian Gawker, America First. It's absolutely free. Leave us a five-star review and then share the links with your friends. And then tomorrow, Mr. G, who have you? You've got an unusual usual guest for the manhood hour tomorrow don't we who, who did we manage to lock in steve bannon steve bannon for the manhood hour absolutely what do you think that's going to be like it should be good should be interesting steve bannon the honey badger himself of war room fame will be with us for a whole that's another reason another reason to subscribe to the podcast okay let's talk about um popular culture I've been meaning to talk to you about this since Monday, but we always run out of time. Three hours is just not enough. I see the call board is lighting up. If you want to sound off, guys, the number is 833-33-GORKA, 833-334-6752. But let me talk to you about experience I had on Sunday night with my son. Do you like horror movies? I'm not big into horror movies. We, we reviewed Alien for making movies great again. That was super fun. But for me, that's more science fiction. For me, horror for the sake of horror, eh, not my bag. Not my bag. Action, 80s action, science fiction, absolutely. But there is a trend in horror movies of late, and that's, of course, the resurgence, the rediscovery of the zombie genre that's been with us since, what, the 70s, late 60s, uh, uh, Living Dead, Return of the Living Dead, and all of that stuff, and then uh, 28 Days Later, and, and then we have the video game phenomena. And there was a very popular, super popular video game called The Last of Us about a post-apocalyptic America. The environment has caused fungi to infect human beings, turning them into the sonambulant undead, zombies with fungus sticking out of their heads. Very popular game. And now it's a TV show. HBO has released the third episode. Oh, there it is. Nicely done. Thank you, Eric. 
Um, this is. Did you play this game? Did you play uh, the the Last of Us, Eric? I did, as a matter of fact. All my friends told me it was one of the greatest games ever made. So I went ahead and I, I played the first one, not the second one. Not the second one. one. All yeah. right, not the second one. There, there's a difference between them, and both of them were re-released. Re-released. We'll talk about what happened to them. So here, there's post-apocalyptic America. The government has gone total fascist, more than even Biden. Basically, it's a Nazi state. There are quarantine zones, and then there's the rest of America filled with these zombies. And there's, sorry, spoilers. If you haven't played the game or seen the TV show, spoilers. A young girl is immune to the zombie infection. And I think it's Joel. Is it Joel? Is the hero Joel, Eric? Yeah, Joel. So former Iraq vet Joel, a very emotionally stunted, closed individual, takes this young girl across America through the perils. (laughs) This is funny. I haven't even seen this game. These images are quite amusing. Um, And takes this girl across America to some resistance center where they're going to develop an antidote. I mean, it's a classic, classic trope, apocalyptic kind of zombie uh, trope. And then HBO makes a TV show. First two episodes I watched with my son, not bad. My son says, oh my gosh, first episode. They basically, shot for shot, image for image, recreated the opening 10 minutes of the game. As, you know, planes are falling out of the sky, buildings are exploding, just a very faithful reproduction. And I thought, yeah, not bad, not bad. And, and the, the lead is, what's, what's the guy from Mandalorian, Pedro, what's his name? Pedro Pascal, thank you. It's good to have a, a pop culture wonk in, in my ear. Pedro Pascal, who plays the Mandalorian, he's like flavor of the month in Hollywood right now. He plays the lead. Sunday night, we sit down to watch episode three. They drop on Sundays. And I, as it starts playing, I see the, the little counter at the bottom on the streaming service, the platform, and say, wow, this is a... 70-minute episode? That's weird. Most episodes for TV shows are like 40 minutes to an hour. This is an hour 10 long. What's the episode about? 52 minutes of the episode. 52 minutes of this episode that's supposed to be about zombies and saving humanity is a gay romance between two hirsute bearded men one a survivalist and one (laughs) a little bit more uh clearly um homosexual they're naked they get in bed they have sex they share strawberries you can watch it yourself if you wish to there's a rule in in story making whether you're writing a book a novel a tv show or film every actor every scene must have one purpose, to drive the story forward. If the actor, the character, the scene doesn't drive the story forward, it must be jettisoned. For 50-plus minutes, we have a gay romance. Why? Less than 2% of the population are homosexuals. I guarantee you, the, they had a record viewership for this show. I guarantee you, millions of people, maybe tens of millions of people switched off and maybe some of them canceled their HBO subscription. (sighs) It is a culture war. They are hostages to their own ideology and they will ruin everything. Why? Because they have one goal. Whether, Whether it's the mutilation of children with transgender transition surgery, whether it's the workification of the military, the schools... Hollywood, TV shows, it is assault on the values that our civilization is built upon. And it is more directly an assault on the building blocks of our civilization. And that is the family. HBO, we know what you're doing. Do not support entities like HBO. I'm Sebastian Gorka. This is America First. We've only just uh, begun. Uh, Make sure you're following us on all social media that matters. We are on Truth Social, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Parler, on Getter, on Telegram, on Clout Hub. You can watch us. We are a TV show, too. That is a good TV show. You can hear the music in the background. Sherlock. SalemNewsChannel.com. Or my personal Substack, Sebastian Gorka. One word, SebastianGorka.substack.com. We'll be back after these messages.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.